while addicted to both drugs and sex, a former transgender man has a radical supernatural encounter with God that changes his understanding of truth and love forever. That more on this week's Spirit Answers podcast. Well, our guest has quite a track record of accomplishments. He is the author of the book, For Such a Time, uh, stars in documentaries such as Pray Away and Here's My Heart. He is the founder and CEO of the Freedom March, uh, as well as the vocalist of his new single, What is Love Made Of? Um, And he's done many more things for the body of Christ. Jeffrey McCall, welcome to Spirit Answers Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it is my pleasure. I am so thankful to have you on the podcast because of a variety of different reasons. Uh, we have not had the chance to really delve into LGBTQ, um, uh, I, I should say, like the types of uh, questions and um, just everything that that entails. There's so much there, especially in today's culture. We haven't really had a chance to talk about that at all. At all, There's been a little uh, bits and pieces here and there. So I'm looking forward to really taking a deep dive there. But also you have an absolutely phenomenal uh, testimony and encounter story with God. And we're going to get to all of that in a second. But before we get to that, I want to start off like I usually do with your your childhood and specifically what your spiritual life was like growing up. So, Jeffrey, uh, if you could take it away for us. Yes. So I actually grew up going to church. Um, I went to church on Wednesday night, Thursday night. My mom was in praise and worship. I was there Sunday morning. I was there Sunday night. (laughs) I was at church all the time. Plus there was a small group once a week. So that was another night that we were busy doing church stuff. And I grew up around this environment of hearing about God, but I never knew God for myself. I never encountered him. I didn't know him. And really that's like an underlying thing of my life was hearing about him, but not knowing him. So growing up, by the time I was 12, when I first started having same-sex attractions, I was really confused because the only thing I'd heard about homosexuality was that it was wrong, it was sin, and that these people will be separated from God, you know, in hell. And so I heard things like that, but I didn't hear, I never heard a testimony of someone that left the LGBTQ lifestyle or followed Jesus. I never heard anyone talk about them struggling with that uh, temptation or sin. Um, So I was very confused really with what, what that meant for my life. And so it was then that really at 12, when I had my first homosexual thoughts uh, by 15, I acted out on those thoughts Mm -hmm. with another man and my life just progressively, I began to accept uh, that I'm a gay man and that this is who I am. And so that was the beginning of my journey really into the LGBTQ identity. Also at 15, after the first, literally seven days after my first encounter sexually with another man, seven days later, I got a phone call unexpectedly that my oldest brother had passed away. He had been found dead in his apartment. And so with that, it was really, my life went another direction. Um, I embraced the identity. Uh, I had just had this encounter with a guy. My oldest brother unexpectedly died, which really affected my whole family. And so it was then that I really began to um, just stop fighting it 
or thinking it was wrong and embrace it because there's so much turmoil going on in my life. Uh, 17, I started drugs and really got into ecstasy, cocaine, crystal mm -hmm. meth, things like that. And so by 18, I was doing drugs all the time. I, um, I missed 67 days, I think it was, of my senior year, but my grades were good and they let me stay after and make up time. So basically I get out of high school and I do what most people that are in the LGBTQ community do, and it's moved to the biggest city near you, where you can get away from all the small town people and small town thoughts, you know, that's how I thought. And so we, I did, I left Shelbyville, Tennessee and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And from 18 to 23, I began um, doing drugs um, even more those years, 21, 22, 23, I became addicted to crystal meth. I would smoke it and go to the clubs and I had a much older boyfriend that I lived with. So my life was basically go to the club, shop, go out, stay high. Um, sometimes I stayed up as far as five, six days, you know, and at 23, I realized that this was not working for me. Um, I'm almost six foot four. I'm six, three over six foot three. And I weighed like 167 at one point. And so I began to get physically ill and I never dealt with the spiritual at this time, but being physically ill, seeing how I looked, seeing kind of how far I, I had gone into this uh, world of speed and staying up for days and the drugs and just seeing a lot of horrible things. I decided to leave Nashville and my dad was coaching baseball at a Christian college in Georgia called Emmanuel College. So I left everything I knew in Nashville and moved to this small town and I enrolled in school. And for four years, I really threw myself into school. Uh, you know, I still have my same identity uh, of who I was as a gay man and, you know, really just embraced that. Had friends even at this Christian college that embraced my identity in the LGBTQ. And uh, basically just went through my four years of college. Uh, a lot of my family and different friends were like, wow, Jeffrey's doing so good. He got off drugs. He's in, um, you know, he's in college. I actually wound up graduating with the history award degree from my class and a photographer award. I graduated with um, uh, cum laude, honors of cum laude, and just several other awards and wound up getting a scholarship for graduate school to get my master's degree as a professor assistant. It would pay for my tuition. And so basically all these things were happening. So my family was like, wow, Jeffrey's doing so much better. Um, but it was definitely not a change on the inside, which is what I, what I needed. This was outside stuff. And there was internal things that I was still really questioning and needing help with. The last semester of college at Emmanuel College, I met Dr. Sherry Story. And she started sharing her story with me about molestation and growing up in the housing projects being sexually abused by her uh, mother's boyfriend at a very early age for years. Um, grew up in deep poverty, all these things, African-American in the deep South. And here she was with a PhD and she was head over the natural science department at the college. She was loving, she was kind, and she just listened to me. She listened to my story. She listened to things. I told her, you know, seeing you as a Christian something had to have happened in your life. Like all your life and all the bad things that happened to you, how are you here? She told me it was Jesus, that she had forgiven those people, that she had released that, and that she had moved forward in love. And so there was something in her that I was drawn to and wanted, not knowing then really that it was just the love of God in her. 
And so um, after that, uh, after meeting her and growing closer with her, I actually started to open up to her about questioning, you know, I still feel this conviction sometimes on homosexuality and I don't know why I still feel that. And, you know, maybe it is wrong. I don't know. Like I was really just starting to question things and trying to be humble enough to listen and, you know, to uh, absorb what, you know, the right answer could be for my life. And it was actually after that semester, I graduated college. And that's what's so crazy. Like sometimes when you're getting even a little bit close to the Lord, that's when the enemy will come in the strongest. And that's what happened. I had just started questioning things again, just started going into myself a little bit again and trying to do it some things that I had been through and experienced. And that was when the summer after college, before graduate school, that was when I did my first drag show. And I really had always felt like feminine. And I'd always felt like even in these homosexual relationships, I mean, I'm always the more feminine one. I'm always the one cooking and cleaning. And, um, you know, I, I feel drawn to feminine things, uh, to, to nurture, to take care of people. Like I always felt that feminine side of me. And so after college, when I did that drag show, I almost used the drag show as just kind of a tool to test my friends and family. Like, Oh, I'm doing this for fun. But really when I dressed up, I just embraced it. And, um, in graduate school, I started going by the name of Scarlett. Um, I started going to counseling to tell people, this is how I've always felt. Like, is this who I really am? And in 2014, 15, during those years, uh, Bruce Jenner had come out as Caitlyn Jenner. So the transgender topic was really being discussed like never before. Homosexual marriage passed. So it was a lot of LGBTQ legislation and ideology um, just really manifesting in this country and going to a different level. And so I really embraced and ran with that. Um, like I said, I started counseling. I started seeing a psychologist and I started seeing a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist diagnosed me with gender dysphoria. And he basically told me, become Scarlet, become who you really are. You know, I can help you with this diagnosis and you can begin hormones. You can begin surgery. And I remember thinking, I don't want to start hormones because I've seen some people take years for those to work. So I said, I'll just do the surgeries. Like, I'll just do everything quick. Like, I want breast implants. I want hip and butt augmentation. I want to just change the shape of my body, all this. But I was in graduate school. And by this point, I only had one year left of graduate school. So I thought, when I get out with my master's degree and get a good job, I'll just start all the surgeries. And I can shape my body and look like a woman, you know, with makeup and paddings and other things without doing you know, this year, my last year of graduate school before I had the money to do the major surgeries. So I just began living in Scarlet. I began going to graduate classes in Scarlet. I began dating a man in Scarlet and just really embraced all this. And basically it led to a deep depression. I began drinking. I'd done a lot of drugs younger, but I began drinking like I'd never drank before. Just, I would have to take five, six, seven, eight shots um, before I started even getting ready. And it was just a thing. It became a thing of drinking and getting ready to, you know, go out or go to school or whatever I was doing. And uh, I also became very promiscuous in the years when I lived transgender. I prostituted during that time. There were days when I had sex with more than one man that day. Um, very extremely promiscuous. Just yearning really for love, but not knowing really at that time what I was yearning for. And um, it all led to an encounter with God. And that's why I tell people, you have to be careful how you judge people. Because here I am living transgender and no one knew. 
that God was dealing with me at home alone behind closed doors. And uh, no one knew that about this encounter. I didn't tell it for months after it happened, but it was around March of 2016. And I was at my home alone and I walked through my hallway into my bedroom and I just fell back on my bed. And as I fell back on my bed, I just started crying. And I said, God, I've met people that something happened in their life and they have peace and joy and love. And as I was sitting there crying, my thoughts were racing. The last thing I said out loud to God is I was just completely broken before him. I said, but will I ever live for you? And as soon as I said those words, but will I ever live for you, a peace and a silence came in my mind. And I heard God at 29 years old for the first time. I'd never heard God. And it just rang across inside of me, his voice. And I heard him say, yes, you will live for me. Wow. And he didn't address anything I was doing. He didn't tell me anything else to do or where to go next or nothing. He just said, yes, you will live for me. And later when I became a born again Christian and started reading the Bible myself, I read about that he's the God that calls things that are not. So they are. God literally calls and speaks things into existence. So when he spoke that day, it was just going to happen. It's the same way he created the earth and the sun and the stars and put universe, universes and galaxies and stuff in orbit. He spoke and the creation came. And so um, it was about three or four months later, I took all my stuff to Scarlet to a dumpster, threw it away. I was baptized that summer. Um, I had a prophetic word from a man all the way from Ireland about my life. All these little things led up to August 16th of 2016. And on August 16th, of that year, I basically went live on Facebook and I publicly repented of alcoholism, the drugs. I didn't want to even talk about the same things, the homosexuality, the transgender. I said, I don't even know how this is going to work, but I want to follow Jesus Christ more than embracing all these things. And I basically uh, went public with that and shared some of my story. And um, within a week, I lost all my friends and I was sad about losing them, but at the same time, on August 16th of 2016, when I made that video and left and went public with everything that was going on, that was the day that I was filled with all those things I had asked for before. That, 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 that night when I cried out to God that I said, I saw this in other people, love, joy, peace, all these things. That day on August 16th, I was filled with that. So it took a burden off of me, losing friends, losing different family members I was close to, like. I was filled with peace and joy and love and all those things and just so in love with the Lord and what he had done and that I just understood that he had paid for my sin and that I was saved by my faith in him and that repenting was such a burden lifted off of me by humbling myself to what he said instead of what I thought I was God and what I thought was right. So that's how it began in the middle and that's up to my born again experience. <laughs> wow. That is just so beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, so many questions uh, come from that. We'll start off with uh, you. Had, you've stated that you've uh, you were attracted to men from a young age. And so, uh, you know, more and more, we when we think about um, the LGBTQ community, we hear this so often that it, it's not a choice and that many people are born into the types of people that they're attracted to, whatever gender that is. And now, now that you have uh, 
your, the truth and you you found a relationship with God and having the experience and wisdom that you have now, what do you make of that? And I want to uh, get a little bit further into that by stating, do you think that it's the work of, say, like specific demons that are causing these types of this type of confusion in people? Do you think it's uh, childhood trauma? Do you think it's genetics, a combination of everything? Because you hear so many different things from both secular sources and and uh, people inside the body of Christ. As someone that has walked the shoes that you walked in in, in this community, uh, what what do you think is going on? Yeah, it's so crazy because I actually wore this shirt today. I wasn't going to wear this. And, you know, before we went on, I felt led to wear it. It actually says born this way. And then it crosses born this way out and born again. And what I show people is that you have to be born again. It doesn't matter what sin you're prone to. It just eliminates that whole psychological debate that became. So in the 50s and 60s is when a lot of this psychology, everything would turn like it was all psychological which I do believe there's some things, you know, that we can study and learn from that, but a lot of things are spiritual. So to your question, I would agree it's a mix of both. Um, I think people that are so heavily oppressed that they don't have a choice what to do, it's spiritual. Um, I think when people can choose not to or partake and they're veering and different things like that happen, I think that a lot of it could be trauma and things that happen in people's lives that's not necessarily uh, spiritual. So yeah, I think it is a mixture of both. And, you know, there's sin that you're prone to, that you were born and grew up and more prone to do that I would never do. And there's sin that I would be more drawn to that you would never do. And that's the whole point of like this shirt and getting the message out is that it don't matter what you were born prone to, what you dealt with, what you went through, the nurturing, the nature, all that stuff they bring up. Jesus said he leveled the playing field. He said, everyone has to be born again. And when you're born again, you are filled with God's love. You are repentant of sin. And it doesn't mean you won't ever sin again. It means that there's a repentance that comes from that. You want to turn and flee from it. And when you do fall in sin, the Bible says, confess it and you will be forgiven. Not only to say you'll be forgiven, you are just washed clean of it. And so that is what being born again is about, being filled with God's love. And God's love is sacrificial. It sacrifices what you want to live right, live for the Lord, to help other people, to put other people first instead of just going out and doing everything your flesh wants to do every second of the day, focusing on helping someone else or, you know, focusing on loving someone or whatever it may be. And so that's what I think it is. I think being born again, is just a freedom that comes in that. So it doesn't matter to me necessarily how it comes to be in people. Hmm. That kind of uh, piggybacks off my next question, which is you stated that you had always felt uh, a lack of peace, even um, before you uh, transitioned genders. Um, Growing up, you, it, it sounds like you always had some kind of anxiety, depression, something was off. And, uh, of course that carried over to your time as Scarlet, uh, when you did transition, what do you say, uh, about people that state that they are happier the way that they are when they've decided to either make a gender transition or, uh, um, give into their homosexual attraction? Do you think that they are being deceived somehow? Or do you think that maybe like, say someone who, finds fleeting pleasure in sin, but no long lasting peace that that's 
what's going on there. Yes, the Bible is very clear that sin can be fun, you know, and one of my favorite scriptures in the book of Hebrews talks about Moses. Uh, he chose instead to be known uh, with the children of God rather than to be known as Pharaoh's daughter, as Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter's child. He chose that instead. And it says that he chose instead to, to flee from the temporary pleasures of sin. So Hebrews tells us sin is, there is temporary pleasure in it, you know. Every the whole world's not going to be going and sinning and, and being, you know, <laughs> pain from it. It feels good at the time and all those things, but what happens is sin is empty. And so these people that are saying, "I'm happier like this and I'm happier like this," when you go and see them twenty years later if they transition, they're not happy. A lot of them are still using drugs and alcohol to numb things. Not all, but a lot of people in the transgender community are. There's a lot of suicide rates um that continue you know into that lifestyle i know i lived as a homosexual man and i also lived transgender when i lived transgender i was way more way more oppressed i felt way more oppressed than i'd ever even felt in the homosexual lifestyle um i just yeah it, it is a heaviness that comes with that so people can act like they're happy with that but you know some people actually are happy in the lifestyle um, happiness is not what it's about. It's about God and what did Jesus do for you? He sacrificed his whole life for you. And when you receive Jesus, you receive that gift, you receive his love in your heart. You want to sacrifice too. You want to do the right thing. You want to follow the Lord, even if it doesn't make sense, or even if it's going to be hard days where you have to deny things that maybe even feel natural to you when we think eternal, we'll do that. If we're thinking about this life, we won't do that. If we're thinking just this is it, we won't do that. And I don't, I don't usually share this, but I feel this on my heart. Maybe it's for someone that's going to watch. I think that science and evolution has really pushed a lot of the LGBTQ stuff because if we just evolved and we all came from this blob that supposedly came out of the ocean and then created something else and then you know, did the heart come first that would pump the blood or did blood just form one day and then it pumped the heart? I mean, it's evolution. When you look at it, when you're born again and God lifts that bell, it's, it seems so, it seems like almost insanity to believe. But even I believed it before I was born again. I started, I started believing it. And so what I'm saying is when you believe all that, it doesn't matter about God. There's no right and wrong. We just, we're all here like animals. Just do whatever the heck you want, whenever. And so I think that evolution and science, a lot of that is trying to push that on people that there is no God and nothing matters. There's no right and wrong. You do what you want. And so that has really pushed um, this LGBTQ embracement to the forefront. Whereas, um, whereas that, I don't know, that just brings this identity of just be happy because it's just who you are. It's how evolution made you. And I can tell you, if I can tell you one thing, I lived amongst the LGBTQ, I would say 80% were not happy. And they were going from relationship to relationship or from sex partner to sex partner. Um, I, you know, there's just, it, it wasn't a happy thing. It was all drinking and drugs. And if they weren't doing drugs, they were doing prescription drugs. If they weren't doing prescription drugs, then they had to smoke pot all day to, to stay, you know, sane. And if they weren't smoking pot all day, they had to drink, you know. It was just, it was a lot of unhappiness. Whether people want to admit it or not, I lived in it. I don't have to guess or look at statistics. I saw it for 
from the time I was 15 to 29, I was in that lifestyle. So, and uh, what I love about the Lord is he brings joy and joy is way deeper rooted than happiness. You can be happy eating a hamburger, you know, because you just crave that. <laughs> but joy, joy is something you cannot buy. Joy is from the Lord. Joy is so deep within that peace, that contentment and joy that comes that only the Lord can bring. That even you can be in a circumstance that when I was in the world, I would have flipped out about. Now I'm just like, oh, well, we'll deal with this Lord and he'll show us what to do. So joy is much deeper than being happy. Um, I, another thing as it relates to um transgender issues or uh, aspects of this community as it relates to the, the transgender part of the community is, um, you know, a lot, uh, we see this happen more and more, I think, than we ever have in, in this country in terms of people transitioning and more of a wide uh, acceptance of what's going on as it relates to uh, transgender identity and desire. Um, some people in the body of Christ, again, um, talk about the idea that um, certain sins such as porn use or giving into lust has created a circumstance now where what what we might not have originally found satisfactory in terms of like heterosexual sex, for example, that's not going to be enough for a person. And then they because they because of their porn use, they have to uh, they start to develop same sex attraction. Eventually, that's not going to satisfy them then they start to, de to develop uh, attraction for transgenders. So I want to get your take on that. Do you think that there's some truth to that as it relates to uh, the you know, porn being so permeated in our culture now? And do you think that plays a role and, and ties to how the transgender movement continues to pick up steam? Yes. I mean, I do think, I don't know the exact, you know, ties of, of how much it's, you know, um, connected. But yeah, I do believe there is a truth to that because people can only watch uh, pornography or different pornographic images that would be, I don't know how to say this, quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they do, it does, you know, it, pornography makes you want to lust for more and then you want something else and then you want something else. And um, there is a... Uh, there is an underground world of men that are secretly into transgender sex. And I learned that when I lived transgender, I mean, men that I never ever would have thought was into that. When I lived to Scarlet would contact me and there was guys I hooked up with that had never been with a guy or a transgender person. So, um, yeah, I think that pornography, there is a connection. I don't know how much I, um, but yeah, I think that definitely people want more and more and the appetite just takes more to get quenched. So yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think there's there's some truth to that. Again, like you, I don't know exactly to what extent there's you know that overlap is, but it certainly I think should raise alarm bells for people, even in the secular community, that the more uh ex accept wide stream or mainstream acceptance that pornography gets, whether that's actual porn sites or even just I think about like like TikTok or Instagram I think there's so much borderline pornography on there that that is getting into the minds of people that are kids you know people that are like five six years old in a way that we've never seen 
at least in, in recent history. And then we see as, and when throughout the, like the last 10, 15 years, especially this movement continue to pick up. I, I think it's just so interesting because people in the, in the secular community are, are very often touting science and studies, scientific studies and research, but they seem to be very, um, peculiar or particular in which which kind of studies that they choose to do because i think there's a lot here that we haven't really looked into this is very fertile ground to to uh understand how some of this is correlating yeah i think it's sad that we don't we don't really spend a lot of time on that yeah um i i wanted to get back into your story a little bit as well um because there, there were a couple of things as it relates to your testimony that I thought were were incredibly impactful, and especially as it relates to the idea of good and evil and the supernatural. And one of those moments came in a uh, a swingers club, and that was where you, for the first time, I think, really had an, an, a feeling of true evil. So yes, uh, that was really. Um my first encounter with evil was at a club. It was actually a swingers club. So they would have uh, married couples come in and exchange sex partners. And what's crazy is this place used to be a Catholic nunnery. So it was used for prayer and, you know, to talk about Jesus. And then now it was this, this place that was the complete opposite. Um, the night of my birthday, my friend had rented a rented that club for me and basically that night certain people got into it so i kind of got left there alone and certain of my friends went another place and i kind of wound up staying there and partying and i had been really high and basically what i this is what i believe people i guess in that world maybe would understand it but you go we go to sleep every night as humans and there's a resetting um doctors say we heal a lot you know in our sleep and our mind is shut down in a way we still dream, but, and so when you stay up for five or six days on speed, to me, what I've always felt since I've been born again, what I felt the Lord show me is that there's like a veil lifted. That's why when people are sleep deprived, they see things other people don't see there. It's just, it's like a spiritual veil lifted really. And those veils were lifted. And I remember always feeling creeped out there. And uh, my friends told me like, this lady doesn't like you. The lady that owned the club where my party was, she was friends with my friends. But even my friends noticed like something in her did not like something in me. And maybe it was because I still kind of believed in Jesus or grew up in church, but she almost had this antichrist spirit. I can't even explain it. She would make jokes about Jesus, things I can't even repeat. Um, it was just really weird that place. And that specific night of my birthday when I was there more alone and there was just different people at the club. The club was close to the public. So this was a private party, but there was a lot of people that were doing drugs around us that came to this after party. I would say probably 20, 30 people were there. It was supposed to be the night of my birthday and half of them weren't really my friends. They were just in this drug world with me. And I'll never forget seeing evil on that lady's face and her face literally morphed. Like wow. her face, like there was the most evil smile I had ever seen on anyone and her face like morphed to the side and I remember being so upset and I was probably way too high and I'd been up for days but seeing what I saw in that place now people in the world would just think it's a drug hallucination but I actually saw the demonic realm and what's so crazy is like this woman who was so evil 
and she hated Jesus and would mock him. She has turned this old place where it was a church into a place where literally people just come to, to commit adultery over and over again and fornication. It was just so weird. And I remember I was sitting there and I looked up and I saw these black things crawling all over the ceiling. Wow. It was the most demonic. I, I don't think, I'm trying to, even after I've been born again, I've seen a lot of supernatural things. I've seen healings. I've seen angelic things. I've seen all kinds of amazing stuff. But even after I was born again to any time before I was born again, I never saw darkness stuff like that. There was literally these black things on the roof of this club that were like intermixing and like just running all over each other. The closest thing I've ever seen to it is when snakes, if you've ever seen a video or thing where there's a lot of snakes, how they just slither and all, all over each other. That's what it was like, but it was like black like body shapes almost doing that type of thing and they were all over the ceiling that's where i saw them not in the room not on the side they were like all over the ceiling of this club and so yeah that was that really kind of opened my eyes in a way that there was just more going on in the world but it was still that was like 2010 it was still like six years before i got born again but I, I did see that, so it made me question some things. Yeah, that was a that was a seed planted. Uh -huh. Yeah, another another seed that came later on for you that I I think is worth highlighting is um, you kind of mentioned it before you you received a prophetic word I believe you said uh, from a guy from Ireland, and why I think that's worth sharing here is because. I know for for you, part of that is is obviously there's there's wonder in, in in the supernatural part of it, in and of itself, but for you it was an act of faith as well because I know you stated before that if if this word that you were given didn't line up with reality, that was going to be really really <laughs> challenging for you to kind of throw a wrench in your developing relationship with God at that point. So can you share that with us? Yeah, for sure. I uh, went to this church with my dad and this man from Ireland was there and uh, he preached. And at the end, he was, I guess you would call prophesying, giving words of knowledge. He was praying over people and releasing what the Lord was telling him. And his wife was praying on the other side for people that wanted healing, physical healing. And I remember sitting on the side and I thought, I'm not going up there because if he says one thing wrong, it's going to blow everything off. Like It had taken... God speaking to me, I had thrown away my life is scarlet like a month before that. I was still holding on to that gay identity. I'm a gay man, homosexuality. And I just remember thinking, I'm not going up there. But I did go up there right near the end. And he did tell me some things that were just things only God and I knew. And uh, not going into all that, but he basically, he, it was another thing. He, he looked at me at the end. And he said, platforms open for you quickly. It won't take long. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and I walked outside and that's when the Lord put on my heart to make that video, which I made about two weeks later. And that was when I felt such a release of so much. And I knew that man's word, that man from Ireland was telling the truth because he was telling me certain things that only God and I knew. And uh, then it was months later too, after that, after I became born again, the Lord started putting on my heart to go out and share my story. And it was so many things so fast. Like I was on a television show like four months after I was saved because they just wanted me to wow. share my story.
And then it was someone wrote my story in a blog article thing that went around. And then I was asked to be in the, a documentary called Here's My Heart. It was 12 people's stories that left the LGBTQ. And then it was 700 Club. And then Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty wanted me to film on his show. And then I was on Daystar. And then I had a book come out. And you know now I'm on a Netflix documentary called Pray Away. I mean, the things that have happened in my four years of ministry is just incredible. Um, and that man said that. I... I didn't ask for all this. I just went out and shared my story and the Lord just opened so many platforms. And it's because the Lord wants the, the Lord wants people to know the truth. Mm. The whole reason of me sharing, the whole reason of me going out, the whole reason of me sharing Freedom March, where I gather former LGBTQ to share their stories in cities. All of it is to share what Jesus Christ paid for and what he did. And none of us are perfect, man. We're all growing. We're all learning. But man, like, it's all just to share about him and who he is and what he can do. It's just, it's just all about him. So that word really showed that it was true. I could never have opened the doors that have opened for me mm. ever. Wow. I, I love that. Um, because it, it makes me think about how so many times the enemy, I think the way that he does things is he does it in a very dramatic and over the top, a lot of times spiritual way. Uh, to get your attention, uh, he he tries to get our attention by sh giving us things that are seductive or very awe-inspiring. Again, whether that's in the spiritual realm or through uh, you know different different endeavors that lead us down the wrong path, that might, as we kind of alluded to before, give us some kind of temporary satisfaction in our flesh. But what I love about the way that God does things, because everything that you just said is, I, I think, just as actually more impactful and, and supernatural than what the enemy does. Uh, everything that you said that relates to these platforms opening up might not be as dramatic as say um, something like when a psychic medium, for example, is able to make contact with the supposed uh, dead spirit of a loved one and, uh, or a, a, a just an, a, kundalini awakening type of experience that someone has at a, at an ayahuasca retreat which i think are very overwhelming and very stimulating to our flesh but leave it lead to death ultimately but what god has been able to do for you is he's been able to connect these dots and weave uh this thread together and and not only is it so cool just to to see take place but it's part of that relationship that he's building with you and the impact, the fruit that that's bearing uh, from a long-term perspective is, is just so far beyond what we see in the, in the enemy's camp where everything is just based off of the here and now, the temporary, and slowly fades away. So I, I love that. I love that. You sh I appreciate you sharing that. And it just shows the contrast between the two different sides and how they operate. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, too, uh, about your your drug use because you you had uh, a, a relationship with several drugs and i could imagine i could just imagine that all the things that you were going through all the different changes you know given your life to christ uh no longer being scarlet trying to get off drugs and i know that these didn't all happen like in the same day it was it was over a period of time but that's still a lot to to handle um, so how, how in particular was that process as it relates to 
getting off the drugs. Yeah. So when I left Nashville and went to my dad's house in Georgia and started college, um, there was just a grace for it. It was really all supernatural. It was really God. Wow. Like I just got off the crystal meth. And I think another thing that helped was I was so far away. I was probably like five and a half hours from Nashville. So I had removed myself, you know what I mean? From everyone there. And in college, I would just drink on the weekend. You know, if I wanted to drink one night a week, I would just drink like, so I was still doing things, but I did come off crystal meth fairly easy. I just removed myself and I just give all God all the glory. It, he, it was just him putting a stepping stone to help me because he knew I had to remove myself from that to even get anywhere near where I was going. <laughs> so I just give God all the glory for that. Wow. Um, another supernatural element right there. Yeah, very. Um, I, another thing that you mentioned, and I, I know you had mentioned before, um, that you're not exactly sure as to why this is, but I, I, I'd like to get your uh, take on it just a little bit more. Um, so many people that are in the LGBTQ community don't give Jesus and God the same amount of thought that you did during your time in that community. And even if, it, even if there were long periods of time where you didn't give God any thought, you have mentioned that you always thought that God was real and Jesus was the son of God. And that goes, that goes in, in complete opposite to so many people in that community who will just either kind of close their ears off to anything related to Christianity or Jesus or get upset even when you, when you mention the name of Jesus to them. So um, why do you think that is that even throughout all the things that you endured during that part of your life, you never doubted Jesus or God's existence? I don't know. I think that it was something that it was like a seed that the Lord put in me at some point in my life. And I think that things are so much deeper than we think sometimes. I think that in my soul, almost somewhere in my spirit, there was a way that I knew who he was. And I, I don't know, but I know that the other day I was at my brother's church and I had an encounter with the Lord. I was sitting in the front right row in the podium where Caleb, my brother, he's a preacher. It's his, he has his own church where he was preaching. It had um, Jeremiah 2911 on it. And we've all heard that scripture a million times, but on specifically on the podium, it just was the part where it said, um, Something the part where it says talks about I knew you. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Like I called you to this. I knew you. And when I saw that scripture, like tears were in my eyes. And I was like, it was like the Lord showed me, like, things are bigger and deeper than you can imagine. Like we think we have all the theology right and all this stuff, but things are just way deeper with God. Like like he knows who before they're even formed in their mother's womb. And like, I just think there was something deep within maybe even my cells. I don't know that always knew he was who he says he was, but I couldn't match that with what I was feeling and what I grew up hearing in the church. That these people were just going to go to hell. And that's the dangerous thing is like scriptures are all the truth and we have to have grace and truth and we have to have the truth and grace, you know, 
Jesus, when the woman was caught in adultery and dragged in the place and she was about to be killed, he didn't just give her grace and he just didn't give her the truth. He gave her grace actually first and stopped them from stoning her and then told them, he who has no sin, you cast the stone. And everybody had to drop their stone because they knew they had sin. And then he told her the truth, go and sin no more. It's such a balance of grace and truth. And I think in the church sometimes, I think in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, the church was still giving just a lot of truth. Like they'll just take one scripture out and just share that. And um, I think now the church is moving to just a lot of grace without the truth. And I'll never forget when I first started ministry, the Lord said, if you just take a scripture out of context like that, and the scripture is still the truth. You're giving someone just like a part of a truth. And you're not giving them grace. And the Lord said, if you do that to people, you can breed fear in them. And he said, if you give people just grace without the truth, you can deceive them. And the Lord took me the story of the woman being stoned. And, you know, after that, it says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It has to be a balance of both. We have to have grace and we have to have the truth. We have to have truth and we have to have grace. So it's very a balanced thing that has to be done. And most people, I think that's part of the narrow road. I know that we always just think of the narrow road when it comes to sin. And yeah, the narrow road, do you walk following the Lord means it's a narrow road. It's not in sin. But I think too, that the narrow road is a balance of grace and truth. Um, I think how we love is more impactful to the Lord than people understand. And I think that that's just a balance. Jesus was the perfect balance of that. He would tell the truth and correct people that were trying to throw scriptures at him who didn't fully understand the revelation of the scriptures. I just knew the scripture, like just the word, like Paul wrote, it's just the letter of the word, the letter of the law, that's death. You have to have the spirit. And Jesus would combat them with truth. And then he would do things that was so grace, always with truth and with the grace and, you know, going to eat at sinners' houses and, letting the woman pour the oil on him that everyone said, do you know what she is or what she's done? She probably had the money to get that oil from something not godly. But he was so filled with grace and was so filled with the truth. And that's how we have to be. It should be like a balancing act. Like those people that carry the water things where the water's on each side, it should be a perfect balance. And that makes it a narrow road because you can't get off in one ditch or the other. Mm. I love that. That is that is beautifully put. I've never thought about the narrow road in that capacity. And um it it relates to a question that I want to ask you here in a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you to the test with what you said here in just a second. Um uh but before we get to that, um one and I really appreciate just everything else that you said because I know that that was such a part of your experience growing up and my experience as well, even though I was not and I'm, I'm not a part of the LGBTQ community, but I know that for a lot of your years growing up, you, you just heard that, that kind of uh, fire and brimstone preaching as it relates to being gay and that that was wrong and people that are gay go to hell. There wasn't, there wasn't that balance at all for you. And I know that that, that was kind of, um, that played a part in your understanding of Christianity and Christians at that time. Um, I, I want, I, real quick, I, I think it's worth highlighting too, I, because this is my um, kind of a theory that I have as it relates to the initial question I asked you, which is why you um, always gave Jesus a chance. 
And I think that that dream that I've heard you mention before uh, that you had as a child that you didn't fully understand until later on, I think that that probably could have played a played a role here in terms of planting a seed for you, even though it was probably always a conscious thing. I think there probably is that had to have done something for you just from my prior understanding of, of your story um, in the way that you've told that. And so can, can you share that dream with us here real quick and what, what happened in the dream and what you were able to find out later as it relates to that dream? Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was around five years old, I had a dream that shook me. And when I woke up from it, I would go to my mom's church and different people and tell them about this dream. It was just so powerful that like, even as a little boy at like five or six years old, I knew something was like, what is this? What is this? You know, and in the dream, I'm actually in this huge gymnasium. I'm sitting on the far right side. There's a door kind of right in front of me across the gym in front of me. And then there's a door in front of me to the, to my left. And, um, I'm just sitting alone, little kid in this gym, completely alone. There's not a sound. There's nothing really. I'm just sitting there and the door opens in front of me and two men come in in all white robes, white hair, white beards, um, even as a little boy, I knew they were from a different place, different time, different place. And they were talking amongst themselves. And when they saw me, they stopped talking and looked at me. Both of them just looked at me. And then they turned and continued talking and walked to the end of the gym and out the other door. The minute they walked out the other door, the roof of the gym is ripped off by this huge paw. It was brown, big brown paw ripped the roof off and this huge brown head of a bear it was roaring down at me in the gym just his whole mouth was about head was about the size of the top of this gymnasium and it was just roaring at me violently like hated me but i was in the gym it never touched me and uh i woke up and so it was just a crazy dream and i just remembered it i can still I can still see it now in my mind. And so when I became a Christian, when I was born again, I actually, I remember I was sitting in my room one day and I said, Lord, I know there's people that interpret dreams and that's in the Bible. And I know there's people that still can do it now because nothing changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't stop doing things. He's the same. He always is supernatural. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there and I just like, that's why I tell people, ask the Holy Spirit yourself. Sometimes we want to get answers from people so much. Just go sit down and be quiet and ask the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. He will show you so many cool things. The Bible says, be still and know he's God. Wait on the Lord and you are near strength. So I was just sitting there and I said that to the Lord. I said, maybe you can send someone that could interpret that dream or something. Uh, now that I was born again, I was thinking about things like that again. And, uh, I just heard the Holy Spirit quickly say, I'm going to show you what it means. And he just started revealing it to my heart. The two men in the dream were Moses and Elijah. And he showed me that a part of my life will be like Moses going back and helping people. This was all like way before Freedom March where I went back and shared the testimonies. And before I was really sharing mine, this was all like months after I was born again. But he said, your life will be like a part like Moses going back in and helping people to come out. And then he showed me that my life would be like Elijah more in the end of my life, like 
the first stage, I don't know years or how long I'll live. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying like, he was showing me like, right now you're kind of in a Moses stage, but you will go into an Elijah type prophetic stage. And that's what it represented in my life. He also showed me that Elijah was actually tormented to the point where he wanted to die. He showed me that in the scriptures wow. where Elijah ran from hell and uh, Elijah says, you know, I'm even desperate of my life. Like I'm, like even like, like not even wanting life. It's demonic. The attack was on his life. And so the Lord showed me I'd already went through some of those attacks. And he showed me as Scarlet how suicidal I became. So um, he showed me that the enemy was just attacking me with that. And that I was in a Moses stage and there would be more with the Elijah type stage. And um, he showed me that like the bear that was roaring that hated me was Satan, Lucifer, the devil, whatever you want to say. It was him upset with, I guess, what I was going to do. You know, I, I, when I was a little boy, I had no idea what this meant. But that's the thing. That's what I was saying earlier about things are so much deeper than we make them. The enemy actually knows people. He knows things about their destiny. He knows things they're going to do. That's why the enemy from an early age attacks people. That's why. When Moses was about to be born, the enemy in the demonic realm, they felt something shifting. They knew someone was coming. It would wind up being Moses who would deliver the Israelites out and fulfill so much. And they started murdering babies. Uh, before Jesus was born, the demonic realm pressed murders of babies again. And Herod did it with all the boys. But Jesus escaped. So the enemy knows when things are coming. And I think when we're born, there's things he knows. And so, um, yeah, that was just a crazy dream that never left me in all those years. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. And that was, that, that was part of your, um, testimony as well. Wasn't it that when you kind of were starting to get close to the truth, that was when Scarlet came into play? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we see that time and time again uh, in these different testimonies on this podcast. And I I certainly can relate as well, just in terms of getting very close to truth and all of a sudden, or not even getting, just getting close to truth, but getting close to doing something for God and God opening up, a, a, a creating a platform and, and all these obstacles coming at you. I mean, it's, it's yeah. that right there in and of itself. I sometimes think that people that are skeptical of Christianity, just take a look at some of these some of these things that are going on uh, as it relates to people that are trying to do things for the, for the body of Christ. It's just incredible to see the obstacles that, that get thrown your, your way. Um, so, so I want to, uh, in just, just a second here, give people an understanding of what it is that you have done since, uh, these platforms have opened up and talk a little bit about the freedom March in, in your book. But I want to come back to real quick, that question, uh, I had before as it relates to, uh, what you said, striking that balancing act between uh, truth and grace. So there are many people right now that identify as Christian that also identify as being in the community, uh, the LGBTQ community. And so with everything that, again, everything that you've learned and what you just said right there, what do you say to people that say that it is okay to be in both camps? Well, I would point them to the scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 that lists many sins, adultery, drunkenness, homosexuality is one of them. 
And it says that those who practice that will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to practice sin and receive the kingdom of God. First of all, if you're born again, you're not going to want to practice sin. It doesn't mean you won't ever sin again. You could fall into sin. But you're not going to practice it. You can't practice homosexuality day in, day out in complete rebellion against God and be right with God as a Christian. God has been very clear about obeying him. And like I said, it doesn't mean you won't ever sin again. There's people like me and others who have left the lifestyle. There's some people that say they're completely delivered. They never even have the temptation again. I still have same-sex attraction. I still have temptation. I've been very clear about that. There's many people in the ministry that are very clear about that and walk this out with the Lord. And it doesn't mean, you know, we've never made a mistake, but we get up and keep going with the Lord. And so if you're going to blatantly rebel against the Lord, that, that's what Satan did. Like, I don't think people understand that in the world. Like Satan literally rebelled and pride against the Lord. He was literally cast out of heaven. We don't want to live in rebellion against the Lord and then claim we're a Christian. And also when you're claiming you're a gay Christian, you're literally identifying as gay or homosexual over You've put that word before even Christian. Like you have embraced that identity so much that you have become that as a Christian. Like all of our identities, races, the sexual things we've been tempted with, whatever, none of that is before our identity in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not in sections up there of different orientations and genders. <laughs> you, if you have went that far to put that as your identity, that that then you've missed the whole thing. I would suggest we go back to the New Testament and read what Jesus said, what Jesus did in the Gospels, and read what his apostles wrote. They came with the power and the Holy the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for the writings. So the scriptures just are very clear that's not correct. Um, there's a reason why, too, that has not come around till now. Nowhere in the history of Christianity do people say that. This has all come within the past 10 to 15 years. And if you go to the scripture that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, written thousands of years ago, it actually says in the end times, in the last days, there will actually be doctrines of demons. There will be literally demonic things released, deception. And we are definitely in the last days. And it is so clear with the things that are being uh, released and preached and taught and accepted. Um, now, for those people that are following Jesus Christ that have fallen into sin after they're saved, no, like you ask forgiveness and you keep going. You're not trying to live in rebellion and practice something you fell into your flesh. And you can be forgiven and you just get up and keep going. So there's a clear difference. Uh, the scripture is very clear. It says those who practice it. Uh, those people are in rebellion against God. That Those people generally don't care what God is saying. And I think too that people have made up their own God. It's really... I think prevalent in the United States of America right now with this topic, like they've literally made their own God up where there's no right or wrong. You just, oh, I feel this, I'm doing it. Oh, God said for thousands of years not to partake in this. Oh, I don't care. I'm God. That's what they, it becomes that I'm God. Mm -hmm. I decide what I do. And when you're in that much pride that you've become your own God, it's, the opposite of what God wants. God is drawn to the humble. God is drawn. Can you imagine? God is, this is like a thing. God is so drawn, an example for this topic. God is so drawn to the man or the woman who says, oh my gosh, 
this is sin. The Bible says that homosexuality is sin. I feel conviction. This is sin. God is drawn to someone like that, even if they fail every couple months with someone in sexual folly. Like, he's more drawn to that, even with the mistakes someone can make, than someone who's in pride. I, I'm deciding what's right. I'm deciding what's wrong. God says, oh, who cares what God says? When you have that attitude of pride, you it's a far separation from God. And the Bible says he rejects those that walk in pride. Satan got cast out for being in pride. Remember that one thing where Jesus says there was two people in the temple and one was just literally like beating his chest like, Lord, I'm a sinner. Like he humbled himself before the Lord and admitted the truth that God's ways are higher than his, that God is holy and that he has made many mistakes. And then the other man was saying, oh, I'm glad I don't sin like that or like that. And it says that the man who humbled himself, he left there right with God, not the other person. So humility versus pride, you're always going to want to pick humility. And the peace that humility brings is beyond anything you can buy or imagine. Yeah, yeah. Again, really well said and not exclusive to the LGBTQ community. When you were speaking, I was just thinking about in the New Testament, thinking about the Sadducees and Pharisees, and and they kind of did the same thing. They they were making themselves their own God and trying to find the easy way out as it relates to certain things like divorce, and um, and even today, modern not modern day Christians that aren't in, in the LGBTQ community, for example, people that say it's okay to to live together before marriage, or they don't really care about having uh, fornication or practicing fornication before marriage, but everything else, you know, they'll, they'll try to serve Christ in every other part of their life, but there's one part that they just, just, they can't give up a certain lifestyle there. They choose not to do that. And like you said, you know, the, the, the peace that you sacrifice, are you going to, it really does come down to that. Are you going to choose peace over pleasure? And, and then the other part of it is, is that there's, there's a relationship here between you and the creator of, of everything. And I think that if you can do a, a kind of a, a vantage shift and focus more on that relationship instead of maybe just trying to follow the rules and check off the boxes, I think that that can be give you a better chance for success. And anybody that finds themselves in that particular boat where they're having a hard time living, giving up a certain part of their lifestyle, where they do make themselves their own God in that lifestyle in a particular part of their lifestyle. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I Really appreciate what you said on that one. Um, I want. I have one more uh, final question. I have one final question for you that I want to get to after we talk about some of the different things that you've been up to since giving your life over to Christ. One of them uh, is the Freedom March. So can you tell us what the, the Freedom March is and how that came about? Yeah, so in 2017, the Lord gave me this idea to gather other former LGBTQ identifying people that had left the identity to follow Jesus to gather them and share their stories in DC. So on May 5th of 2018, we had our first one and we had about 50 people show up. It's just praise and worship music, all former LGBTQ testimonies. And then we march, we march behind a banner just in love, not in any kind of weird stuff. We just march, we chant about Jesus, we sing, to Jesus, if people stop us and ask what the Freedom March is, we get to share with them our testimonies. 
and we did it in DC. And like I said, about 50 people showed up. And by our next one in LA, we had like 250 people show up. And one of our last ones in Orlando that we did right before COVID had about, I think it was like 475, almost 500 people. Wow. It's grassroots and it's growing and it's all former LGBTQ testimonies. And we do it outside in major US cities. Um, we've been in St. Paul, Minnesota. We've been in Orlando, Florida, West Palm Beach, Florida, Atlanta. We did one in North Carolina, like a family weekend at a church. We didn't get to do it outside. We've done D.C., L.A., but we go to the downtown areas and we build a stage or we get a venue in the downtown city, part of the city that has a stage. And we just rent it. And we do live worship and testimonies in the march. And the Lord gave me the scripture in Colossians where it says that the Lord made a public spectacle of the enemy. Everything Jesus did in Jerusalem was down the Via Della Rosa, right down the road, right going through Jerusalem. It was public. And Colossians talks about that. And the Lord put on my heart, do it outside publicly, release in the airwaves of the cities these testimonies. And so we just go out there and we just share them and release it all over the city and just release that in the atmosphere and the worship, the testimonies, the marching. It's just a spiritual, amazing thing that just encourages so many people. Mm, so powerful. So incredible. Mm. Um, and uh, I want to make sure, too, I have the, the website as I always do listed below for people that want to access the, the freedom to march, uh, or the freedom March website, which is freedom to march.com. Yeah. Uh, and I believe is every June. Isn't that right? Yeah, we do. We, we used to do DC every May and last year initially we've done it in June. We'll probably do it again next year in June. And then we go to different cities. So we always have DC every year is the national one. And then we'll visit other cities. Oh, awesome. So we will be in Atlanta and Piedmont Park sometime in the fall. We haven't locked the date. Oh, okay. You have another one coming up in the fall? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And um, you also have a book for such a time uh, on Amazon. And I'll, again, I'll include the, the link to that below. Can you give people a quick rundown of what they can expect there? Yeah. So for such a time is a very detailed book of my whole story, things I experienced growing up. Um, a lot of details of what was going on throughout all those years. And then uh, For Such a Time also is, uh, it's my memoir. So it also goes into After I Was Born Again and things that I've encountered. The whole last chapter is about the supernatural power of God that I've encountered after following him and just seeing God move and so many things. So it's a memoir type book uh, with some current things at the end. And yeah, it's a great tool if you want to get it to someone living a transgender life because it's someone... I could probably relate to and read about. And so I think it's a great tool for that, that aspect. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And I, you know, a couple of things I know that we talked about at the beginning, the, you have the pray away documentary on Netflix, as well as uh, here's my heart uh, on Vimeo. Um, I, so feel free to talk about those if you want, but I, I thought we, one of the things I thought was really cool that you recently did was uh, a single, what is love made of? So if you want to tell us a little bit about um, either, any of the documentaries or the song, that'd be great. Yeah, so Here's My Heart's on Vimeo. It's a Christian one. It's 12 people's stories that left the lifestyle. Pray Away is very much like a documentary that is made by a secular company, um, produced, uh, executive produced by Ryan Murphy and Jason Bloom of Bloom House Productions. And they had a clear agenda to share about former LGBTQ ministries and how all these people would go back into the lifestyle. They shared 
think five people's stories out of hundreds. I know hundreds of people that have been out of the lifestyle for 40, 30, 40 years and never went back, but they were trying to do kind of a hit piece on former LGBTQ ministries. But the director saw Freedom March and she wanted to show it as a current movement. And then she heard my story and she wanted to share it. And it just got me being filmed in so much of it. And I became a central piece to it, not even knowing it, it just kind of organically happened. So I'm getting to share my story in this hit piece against <laughs> former LGBTQ. So it's crazy. And then uh, the director, Christine Stolakis, made it in. Um, then Netflix bought it when Ryan Murphy and Jason Bloom signed on to help with it. So, yeah, anyone, most people have Netflix. You can watch Pray Away, and I'm a part of that story. And definitely have to use some discernment when you're watching it. So there's a lot of other stories in there that are not for God or in, you know, the same light as me. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite a different uh, film. And then What Is Love Made Of is just a song that I wrote and I sang and... Um, I had a producer in Dallas. He was amazing. He's from uh, London. And I just worked with him. And it was so cool. Like, mm -hmm. I've always wanted to... I always felt like there was something in me that I could give. No one else could give. And it was just mine. And I don't claim to be some multi-talented uh, songwriter or definitely not singer. Not the best singer. But it was something that I wrote and something I sang and worked with the producer on the music. And it was just such a little nugget of jewel. And it's almost like one of the only things that I've done that I feel like is mine, that I like gave to the Lord. Like something that I just really created everything with it and gave it to the Lord. And uh, and the song is just about what is love actually made up? Like, do you really, do we really have enough Jesus to make this work? And it reminds me really of the scripture where, the Lord tells us to count all the costs before and questioning, like, is this enough? Like, do I really love you in a way? And is this all going to work? Like, how is this going to work? And um, wanting Jesus to stay in that moment and to be everything that he is thought to be. And so that song, What Is Love Made Of, is just something dear uh, from the vaults of my heart and something that I wrote and sang for just for Jesus and uh, and release to the public to listen to too. So mm -hmm. yeah, check out what is love made of. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. And I, and I love the way you described that right there. I think those moments when you can, when you feel like there's only a certain way that you can do something and you're able to share that creatively with the world and even better if, if Christ is involved, I mean, that's a, that's a powerful moment. And, and when you talk about giving or serving as opposed to receiving, I think right, that right there is a perfect example how just the, the feeling that you have when you do something like that, I think is second to none and that you're able to to give a part of yourself and be vulnerable with the world in a way that is, is hopefully fulfilling for you, but it also hopefully brings some joy and, and happiness to, to other people. Again, by way of that concept that only you, there's, it's only something that you can do. You're, you're sharing a part of yourself that is truly unique. So really, really cool. Um, and then lastly, you have your uh, Facebook and Instagram. And I, I would assume if people want to get in contact with you, that's one way to do it, right? Yeah, just write me a message on Facebook or Instagram. We have a Freedom March TikTok now. We just started. So follow Freedom March on TikTok or Jeffrey McCall. You can write me on my Instagram or Facebook. 
uh, Freedom Arch is also on Instagram and Facebook too. So I have many accounts you can message me on. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, I have one more question for you uh, before you wrap up. And it has to do with a little bit of what we talked about as it relates to uh, peace and, and pleasure. Because, you know, before when you were in the LGBTQ community, you were giving into your flesh and, and getting high uh, a lot and uh, committing certain acts such as fornication, really just appeasing your flesh um, as much as you could. And there was, there was a certain happiness there that you had. And now you've given up all of those things, but you have a different type of happiness and, and a different, shall we say, joy that you never had before. So for, for people that are listening to this, that still, they, maybe these people don't exactly understand what that difference is. What, what has been that difference for you in between? as it relates to those different types of happinesses that, that you feel that you felt then and you feel now. Yeah. I would say, like I said earlier, it's a joy now. It's much deeper than a happiness because happiness is so fleeting. Mm -hmm. I have such a joy, like even on my hardest days, just turning my attention to what Jesus did for me and that I'm in a relationship with him and he's in me and I'm in him. It just breaks everything. It just breaks and shatters depression and suicide and all those things. I mean, I just give God all the glory. He set me free from that. And those people out there you're talking about, like, that would ask that question. A lot of people are wanting peace, but they will not surrender to God. You have to surrender to God. You, you will not find peace. You will not find joy in the things of the world. It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. It is so fleeting. And, and I feel the Holy Spirit wanted me to say this too. It's like, you don't have to be perfect. You do not have to be perfect. You are not going to Jerusalem and going to die this perfect life and pay for this the world. You're not going to do that. You're not called to do that. You couldn't do it if you wanted to. Jesus paid for our sin. And all he asks is that we put our faith in him. He wants us to turn from sin and read our Bible and pray and learn about him and listen to him and see his beauty and nature and driving down the road and seeing a mom hug her kid in the grocery store and hold his hand and like that love, like see love and just see other people and all of the pride and the, the other stuff, vanity and the hatred and the racism, all that stuff is of the dark kingdom of darkness. Cause it's all about, selfishness um the happiness that comes with jesus or i should better say the joy that comes with jesus is so deep it's just a different level it's eternal it's so eternal it's not fleeting like things of the world so uh that's what i would tell people you want that peace surrender to god do it now um even in your bedroom wherever you're at or watching this just just hit your knees and just ask for forgiveness and then ask for his love to fill you and that you confess Jesus is Lord and that you believe that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. It says you believe that you'll be saved by your faith. And then when he comes in, he will clean house. <laughs> Trust me. You don't have to worry about being perfect. He will convict you. He will guide you. He will show you. I don't want you to do this anymore. Or I don't want you to speak that way to that person ever again. 
and I want you to help this person and I want you to buy this person lunch or you know like it's all it just becomes unselfish it's sacrificial and sacrificial love is the highest form of love so if you want that peace just surrender to Jesus tonight let it go and just let him fill in and he'll take care of the rest wow wow absolutely incredible um, I, again, I can't thank you enough, Jeffrey, for taking the time to, to join us. I know this is a, a busy, very busy month for you. Um, and, uh, just for sharing your insights with us, your wisdom with us in, in your testimony. I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, I, as I said, before we started recording, I'll continue to pray for everything that you're doing. Keep up the fantastic work in Christ. And, uh, thank you again. I really, really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's the show for this week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in as always. And what a testimony. And uh, like I said at the top of the interview, um, we haven't really had a chance to dive into this subject matter. I know for many it's an uncomfortable topic, but I'm so happy that we did. And one of the things um, besides Jeffrey's miraculous uh, and amazing testimony that stands out to me that I really want to hit home is what he mentioned uh, with just that balance of, of the narrow of the narrow path, the narrow road, and that being balancing telling the truth uh, with love. And I think he was so accurate in saying that we see so often in Christianity that that is not the case with with Christians as as we're spreading the good news. And um, not to disparage anybody or um, talk down to anybody or on anybody, uh, because I think it is, it's very challenging. It's very challenging to do that, but I think what a great reminder to kind of have a gut check with yourself and say, you know, when I'm, when I'm spreading the truth, am I, am I doing it with love and uh, vice versa? If, you know, when I'm going out and, and especially amongst brothers and sisters in Christ and they are stumbling in, in sin, am I not only loving them, but am I trying to help redirect them uh, to the right path. And uh, and if, if maybe if I'm struggling with that, can I get somebody else, another brother and sister in Christ to help me out? So uh, just love that. I, that. That will stick with me for a long time. Um, and uh, just a reminder to send in your testimony. As always, I'd love to have you on the podcast. Please Submit your testimony to the email below, wherever you're listening to this in the description is my email. And uh, as always, I'd love to hear any recommendations that you have. Maybe you saw a great testimony on YouTube or on Reddit or wherever. I'd love to hear about that as well. And uh, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Spirit Answers, where you can get a sneak peek of next week's episode. And as always, thank you for sharing this with at least one person of uh, whom you think will benefit from the content of this episode. I really, really appreciate that. And I appreciate all you do as always to support the podcast and for listening. I hope you have a blessed week. I will be praying for you. Take care. Bye-bye.